Welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, the earth, she stands still in the midst of, were they in the Cold War at this point? Yes, this is the, <laughs> the Cold War. The very we Cold War. watched Robert Wise's 1951 science fiction classic, The Day the Earth Stood Still, which we're going to talk about. But before we do, how was your week? It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I teased him about yes. always saying actually. So now he can't say actually. I have to stop being surprised when my week turns out well. Yeah, there you go. I've That's what it is. I've had a couple of good weeks so far. And so I don't want to keep thinking, oh, I was genuinely surprised that this week I wasn't staggering around in pain yeah. or something. So, um, so yes, this week was good. Now it's only been... It's only been a couple of days. We we right. are recording this a little bit early. We're trying to get a little bit banked because I am going out of town for a, a bit of extended time mm-hmm. around the 4th of July. Uh, it's five days or something, but it's more time than I'm normally gone. So we're going to try and bank a couple of episodes. So we're recording this on a lovely Saturday afternoon. The temperature has decreased in Oakland and there's not a million yes. degrees in your room. And so it's a reasonable temperature. We're prepping for a... Father's Day slash Juneteenth barbecue tomorrow with a black father hosting. So I don't know which direction we're leaning more in, but it's fine. Celebration is celebration. I have never been to a a Juneteenth celebration, which is a shame. It is a shame since I didn't even know about what it was until four years ago or something. People don't educate you in that. No, well, except you know who did know about it? Corey, because he was raised when he was very small, in Texas, uh, which is the one right. place that they do teach you about it. Now they'll hopefully teach more because mm-hmm. it is a national holiday that falls also a lot of times on Father's Day, but that's okay. It's a specific date, and Father's right. Day is one of those third Sundays after the first I, full moon of whatever. <laughs> I didn't know exactly what to expect, so I, I'm sitting at work and impulsively I try to find all the words to lift every voice and sing. Um, which is yeah, it's sort of like their national anthem, right? Like a national anthem for and it that is. It's actually, it's, it's better our than our national it's anthem. It's better than our national the anthem. The American no national killed. anthem right. sucks donkey balls. Everybody, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's that's vulgar and terrible. But also, that song isn't good. It has bad lyrics. It's written by a racist, and it's difficult to sing. Right. It's like not. It's all bad. For those of you who don't know, the, the racist lyrics and verses have been dropped over time. Sure, except they're original. Right. But just they, like they were there. The whole country. Yeah. <laughs> it's but, um, fitting, but it sucks. Uh, yeah, it's. But. Uh, yeah, I was I was looking at, it and I know that the um, the version that I heard, I really haven't. I always loved the song because I used to hear it a lot uh, when I was working for the public school system. Uh, and when the first time I really listened to the words, trying to see how much of it I remembered, was yesterday or day before yesterday, and I realized. Um, how really James Weldon Johnson, the poet, okay, he wrote the lyrics, okay, and so it's really beautiful. I bet, but yeah, it's it's possibly beyond my vocal abilities. I yeah, think. maybe I'll put a a clip in at the end. 
Right. We could do that. We mm. could be celebrating so that, all the way through Thursday. How's your day. week? Oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if I'm going to celebrate the 4th of July for four days or whatever, Ugh, yeah. I can celebrate this. So how was your week? It was good. I was uh, quite busy. Mm-hmm. I will be busy through the weekend. Right. But I am doing all the things I can do to front load my life so that on the 30th of June, I can drive away and not worry about anything until the 5th of July. Right. Good luck with that. So that's the plan. Uh, yeah, it's good. I'm grateful for the break in the weather. Um, yes. I am unnerved by the weather situations across the country. There were like seven weather emergencies on the same oh. day throughout the country, ranging from fire mm. to flood to um like sandstorm type situations like the climate emergency is affecting our entire country in a really visceral way right now but different in each section of the country i'll send you so you look puzzled because i didn't know about Um, it either because we're in our pocket mm -hmm. and what we do what happens when we turn on the news we see stuff about the fact that they're not going to do anything about the january january 6th coup against this country and um in you know rising gas prices that's all we see on the news and shootings so uh, yeah. oh, well that's kind of when you began mentioning what was going on mm-hmm. i i was puzzled cuz i was trying to remember the names of the actual four horsemen oh plague famine war and death yeah, and or then is... hell follows them he's yeah. the, the fifth yeah. one that nobody sees because it's too late i think but uh, yeah, that's what, that's what it's, it feels like at times. I mean, there was another mass shooting in a church uh, weekend before last, and and um, I was watching the news, and you came into the living room, and you're thinking that oh, did this happen today? Because there's so many. It's been every weekend nearly. So yeah, I'm hopefully we'll get through this weekend, and no one will be shot in these sort of pointless acts of violence. I mean, I with the there have been uh, vans and trucks full of militia members, mm-hmm. terrorists, domestic terrorists, being caught out right before they infiltrate oh, pride events. Good. In tiny places like Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, because why would you go to the Castro or mm. New York City or... West Hollywood, where you will definitely be outnumbered mm-hmm. and probably outgunned, yeah. you went ahead and go to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, to a family picnic. Oh, yeah, and there was another one outside of a of a small town in Texas. Um, every weekend, as much as I want to go out and have fun and enjoy the sun and the little bit of joy that people can find right now, finally being able to get back together, I am. Also mildly terrified of doing that in a public space that is a quote-unquote soft target. And I'm afraid for all of my friends, too. Mm. <laughs> like, it's not... So, uh, yeah, it's it's really... It's really tough. Um, but, yeah, like, they closed down your... Not Yosemite. Yellowstone. Mm. They just closed it because it's 
torrentially flooding and people were dying. So they were just like, ooh, that's a wrap. Everybody out. Uh, I always get Yellowstone and Yosemite mixed up, not for location or what they are, Mm. just the names. Just the names. (laughs) So, okay. So you're going to take us, you're going to kind of lead our way through this movie because this is like one of your favoriteest movies. Yeah, it's a film that was, and I described this when I was talking about The Thing. And it's from the same year yes. as well, which is strange. You have this parallels. It's like the good alien and the bad alien. But um, this film was on UHF stations a lot when I was a kid. It would make up a lot of programming hours. Uh, and then when the, I guess it must have been the mid-80s or the early 80s, when uh-huh. the uh, video revolution started. Yeah a lot of these films got pulled from distribution and you wouldn't see them anymore. Yeah, you can now go to Blockbuster and get it. We're not giving it to you for right. free, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And then eventually it was on cable television uh-huh. and then it was on cable television that catered to things like TCM or AMC in the old days. Mm-hmm. And then you saw less and less of it, but at the same time it still had this sort of reputation as being one of the best films of its kind ever made. Right. And you weren't looking forward to it. I was not, because I've seen, at right. least in part, the remake, the 2008 remake, with Keanu Reeves and Jennifer Connelly, and I found it to be irredeemably boring. Right. And as we were watching the movie, I really enjoyed the watch of it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting all the way through. And I do think both of those people were cast right. well. I think the problem was in the writing and the directing, and it's not a thing that I'm going to revisit to see where the issues are, because mm-hmm. I just remember it being an unpleasant watching experience, and y'all, life is too short. I just can't do it. So This is why I'm, I'm debating so much whether I want to see, uh, given that same reason, life is entirely too short, do I really want to see uh, Sins of the Future? Excuse me, you mean Crimes, Crimes of, the of the Future? Yes, the David Cronenberg right. movie do named I, I, the exact same as the previous David right. Cronenberg movie, but has nothing to do with it. I have determined I do not need to see right, this film. But it's, I don't even need to see the trailer. That's how sure about not seeing that film I am. But glad he made it. Glad he can. Glad right. people are enjoying it. Not for me. It's not for me. Yeah, I, Michael Haneke's films, they're yes, not for me. They're, they're for somebody else. Most things described as torture porn. Them. That is not for me. Anything mm. with the word human centipede in the title, that is not for me. Actually, to me, centipede, I hate those things. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I am deeply afraid of things with that many la- letter legs. They yeah. wriggle everywhere. It's, yeah. Any movie where yeah. fundamentally what I need to be um, cheering for is the protagonist being able to kill themselves because there is no redemption from the situation that they have gotten themselves in is yeah. not a movie that I want to watch. Yeah. That That is... Uh, and I find it now, this has not always been true, this has probably only been true since about 2017 or so, but it's gotten way more true in the last two years, movies where people are the villains. People are the violent villains. Mm. If if it's supernatural terror, right. alien terror, you know, the bottom of the sea is trying to kill you, if it's... Um, Natural disaster stuff, although that's rocky for me. I can, I'm much more into that. If it's a, if it's people being murderous towards other people, I just 
can't. It's mm. too, there's too much of it in the real world. And I just, right. I don't want to pepper my uh, entertainment with it. That's me. That's not, I'm not saying stop making those movies yeah. or, or anything like that. But I, I have trouble with wanting to sit down for two hours and watch people be terrible to people. So, yeah, I, I like that movie. Um, I care a lot. Yes, that that one I got through. Um, I was like, mm, mm, and it's <laughs> I didn't care for it. Um, it takes a twist at the end where people wind up paying for what they did, but at the same time, and, and I hope that promising young woman is another one well, where I we watched. I, really I was excited like, to watch. Uh-huh. I really hated how it ended. Yeah, I understand why they did it. It's not the movie I wanted it to be. Right, and and the film at that point has leaned into the fantastic once or twice, so it didn't need to have this sort of really kind of awful ending. Yeah, and, I, I didn't. Right. I, I was like, yeah, I guess th- that is what happens. That right. is what would happen. I'm watching a movie. Mm-hmm. Let me have one good thing. Well, also, I think that the a lot of times, and we've talked about that in terms of films like Mother, Yeah. Is that you can be misled by how it's advertised. You didn't say it right. You have to pronounce it. Mother! There's an exclamation point at the end of it. Well, but I mean, that was a film where I thought I was going to be watching a completely different kind of movie. And then here I am watching this film that... Which... It's hard because Mm. sometimes I want a movie to surprise me. Everything, everywhere, all at once surprised me. And I loved it. Mm Mm-hmm. Sometimes I just don't love that surprise, and I and I can't say don't surprise me. Don't, you know what I mean? Actually, I it's want just, something that's mediocre and predictable. Although, I mean, you like romantic comedies. I and do not like necessarily romantic comedies. Mediocre, but they are predictable. They're predictable. They right. are. They are a safe space. Right. <laughs> Rom coms are a safe space because if you're calling it a romance, they end. There's a happy ending. They end up together. Mm-hmm. Period. So. If if you no, want to know that everything's going to be fine at the end, a rom-com is the perfect thing to put on because right. it's going to take care of you. Yeah. I wonder, I, I, I used to see horror films that way. Yeah, for sure. But there's always been Michael Reeves when he did Witchfinder General or something where the ending is so bleak. Or The Mist is the another Mist, one. The Mist, yeah. Where the Ooh. ending is so bleak, you consider yourself schooled at the end of it. But yeah. in both of those cases, it really had a, both of those directors really had a point to make. And it was harsh, but it was, you know, the sort of gut punch you got because the end yeah. of the, the mist, the, the novella was not that. It bleak. was not, not in any way. Yeah. But all right. So we really should, first of all, before we do the, the, the run through of the plot, yeah. is that we should describe what exactly was happening here. Okay. Because it was 1951. The film was made in 1950. So this is four years after World War II, four years after um, the United States dropped two atomic bombs. Not one, but two. Two. Um, Including one on arguably a non-military target. Um, And there was this question now of what do we do with all this power that we have? And here's the thing, I just want to say something real quick about that atomic bomb and the non-military target. Mm-hmm. You drop an atomic bomb, you're going to hit non-military targets. Right. You can't contain it to just 
Yes, and I would like to also point out so, that Japan had effectively surrendered by this point. It was punitive. It was punitive. Um, it, you you hit us in in our favorite state, mm-hmm. even though it's just been a state for three and a half seconds, uh, and we're gonna yeah take it out on your. So people. yes, and and not like the well anyhow. The point is yeah. that there was a lot of paranoia about this. There was paranoia about the Soviet Union, and that's yeah. brought up in this film too. Yes. So in this kind of atmosphere of distrust. Um, this is where this whole story takes place. Yeah. Uh, in reviewing the materials about the making of the film, um, it starts with Julian Blaus- uh, Blaustein, who's the producer. Blaustein. Blaustein, who had done, who was a kind of a socially progressive producer. He produced okay. a film called Broken Arrow with James Stewart and Jeffrey Chandler about the um, the first treaties between the Native Americans and the Pony Express writers. Uh, different than the movie with Christian right. Slater, much later, yes. Or John Travolta, one as, of those As a matter of fact, I think the term Broken Air was taken from that earlier movie. Maybe. But um, but anyhow, so he'd done some very socially conscious movies, and Gerald Zanuck, who's the head of 20th Century Fox, tells him, what do you want to do next? And he wants to do a science fiction film. So he goes through, uh, along with the 20th Century Fox story department, hundreds of magazine stories. If Magazine and Amazing Science Fiction and all that were in publication at the time. And they find one that acts as a springboard. And that has okay. our central scene. So to start, that's where the film starts. Okay. Um, there's a kind of a furor all over the world where, where our credit scene is essentially the point of view of a spaceship heading towards Earth. Yes. It's heading through these sort of galaxies. And, yeah. And then we see uh, people at... Stations on Earth that were meant to register when ballistic missiles were coming. Yeah. Uh, they're catching something that's far too fast and far too... Uh, it's very, far too fast. It's inside the Earth's atmosphere. It's going 4,000 miles an hour inside the Earth's atmosphere. And they, there's a real dig to anybody who has believes that they've seen a UFO. Mm-hmm. They're like... This isn't like those stories of UFOs. Right. This is real. And I'm like, rude. Which is, and again, this is three years after the one of the first of the big UFO stories. Yeah. And you said uh-huh. the newscasters we see here at the beginning are real newscasters right. now, of the time. Blaustein, the producer, wanted a director who could... he. The script was sold. He, he took the script to Edmund North, who wrote the screenplay. Uh, which is significantly different from the short story, but retaining its central idea. Mm-hmm. He wanted a director who could kind of create the sense on a budget that this is happening to the whole world. And yes. so they found a person who had been trained as an editor, who is Robert Wise, as the director. And we'll talk more about Robert Wise later because he's a genius who's not going to get recognized anytime soon, unfortunately, as being as good as he was. But he creates this sort of these montages that happen at several points in the film, where you see people in India or people in Egypt or all over the earth who are reacting to this object in the sky. Yeah, and then it cuts back to as we as you said, uh, it's got a real um, uh, for uh, Independence Day vibe, right? Where they have just quick scenes of people in yeah. various locations going. <laughs> and and uh, very much like uh, the modern DC films or something, there uh, there are 
actual journalists and reporters and radio reporters who are showing up narrating about how this object from outer space is getting closer and closer and closer to Earth. And then it shows up at a baseball diamond in a park in Washington, Washington D.C. Washington, D.C. So and ethnocentric we are. <laughs> although, as it turns out, and yeah, I'm not sure exactly why that decision was made because they kind of, the story sort of contradicts it later by saying, no, no, we, we want to talk to everyone. But yeah, we, you have to start at mm-hmm. a capital. Right. You didn't have to start at this capital, but you look the way you look, which I want to talk about when we get to it. But yeah. So this spaceship is flying. A it is a around. saucer. You, y'all, they said this isn't a flying saucer, except this is 100% right. a flying saucer. And please software. remember, audience, flying saucers were new to people back then. Yeah. This is like, it was a new No, idea. it looks, it's a cool design. Right. Um, which, by the way, was inspired not only by the art department at 20th Century Fox, but working with Frank Lloyd Wright. Oh, apparently. interesting. Right. And uh, based on a very, uh, very sort of architecturally progressive building he designed in Wisconsin. And a lot of the design elements were taken from there, but it is... Problematic man. Right. See, 99% invisible. At the same time, though, like, he, well, never mind. Genius is often problematic, unfortunately. So, this saucer lands in this baseball diamond. In a field. I mean, not a field, in a park. Yeah. And very quickly, people gather around it. They they cordon it off, but they still... Those people are too close. I'm just like... Get get them, like, literal blocks away. Why is there not a blocks around radius around this thing? What... Are you doing? We've worked with a former president of the United States. Um, uh, not, several, because we we met Carter as well, but right. but Clinton was the right. biggie, yeah. Um, and we uh, both of us have seen how they push you back mm-hmm. and how they secure they want areas. Space. So I they don't want know, right. a lot of space. Also, there's a thing later where I was like. Well, this is why now they secure something in the middle of a big room. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So this flying saucer lands. It's seamless. It doesn't seem to have a door or windows or anything. It looks like a mylar balloon, but saucer shaped. And it opens up and a man walks out or somebody walks out wearing a helmet. He's wearing a kind of a... Uh, mylar outfit yeah, <laughs> he's so shiny right. and silver but humanoid shaped right and he emerges and says that he comes in peace and he goes along and reaches inside of like the folds of his jacket i guess and he produces an object and it opens up like an umbrella it's very small and the moment that happens one of these soldiers standing by with all these guns pointing at this flying saucer shoots him Yep. Because it sort of shoots him in the arm and, and breaks this thing. Right. Good job, everybody. At which point, hello, America. Where the that he should have gone to Japan. Right. <laughs> in which, 1951, I don't know that he could have gone to Japan, right. but he maybe should have gone to Japan. Some place where people have rules about polite behavior. I don't Canada. Know. Canada. Canada. Even England would have been better. And I am not a fan of the colonization stylings of yeah. England, but in America, you're definitely going to get shot. Well, he gets shot, and then the same um, aperture opens on the spaceship, 
and what seems to be an eight-foot-tall giant robot robot wanders onto the uh, deck of the spaceship. His visor opens, and it's crackling with energy, and he shoots the weapons out of the hand. He basically disintegrates all right. of the weapons. And they just sort of, of fall in this sort of like little feathery remnants of light or something. That's Oof. basically what he does to he, them. He dark phoenixes them. That's a good idea. <laughs> yes, I like the way you put that. Also, Scarlet Witch. <laughs> the people who can look at a thing and just turn it into the atoms that make it up and then, then it's not a thing anymore. So the uh, humanoid person tells the robot, Gort, Gort, desist, stop. It's fine. Right. It's not fine, everybody. And he mentions to the soldier uh, that he, the soldiers, it, there's a lot of neat little things in this movie. Yeah. As the soldier approaches him, he reaches for his gun and realizes his gun's no longer there because it's been disintegrated. Disintegr- so he disintegrated all of the guns. So then he's, which nowadays doesn't seem like a bad idea. Um, he explains uh, this uh, humanoid to the soldier closest to him that this was a gift for the President of the United States to explore life on other planets. Yep, oops. You did, so, ru- you did done ruin it. Good job. So he's taken to, the alien is taken to Walter Reed Hospital. Because he was shot. Right. And after surgery, um, he uses one of his, like his alien first aid kit, apparently, and is completely well within a day. He has an ointment. Yes. A salve. Um, he speaks to a Mr. Harley, who's a representative of the President of the United States, who is trying to find out from him, like, why are you here? What do you what do you want from us and everything? To which he says, take me to all of your leaders. <laughs> and, yeah, and we find out his name is Klaatu. Klaatu. Klaatu is played, as per um, the director's instructions to the actor Michael Rennie, um, superior but not arrogant. Correct. So, he He's like the smartest man in the room and is... Aggrieved by stupidity, right? And says so in yes. this. In this, uh, I think my favorite line in the movie is, "He's like, I don't have patience for stupidity." And the and the secretary is like, right. "Sorry, we're, we're rife with right. it." Right, my people have not learned to. We have not learned to live like. With we've it. learned to live without it. He's like, my people haven't. Haven't. <laughs> and I liked the humility with which that is said because right. it is true, and humans have trouble with. Shit that is true. Right. So when it's not flattering to themselves, so I appreciated is, that. This is the scene that was the basis for the short story. Okay. That that um, when Blustein was going through all of the uh, when one of the uh, story editors at 20th Century Fox tried to give him, you know, they were handing him ideas for making a science fiction film. When he read this central image of yeah, that's how we'd react. We'd shoot the guy. Yep. He's the messenger from outer space. He's come down from the sky. What do we do? We're scared, so we're going to shoot him. He said that was what just sucked him into it. Yeah. Uh, into the story. And it does. It's a really effective way to... Yeah. Everyone who's seen this film and remembers that scene. True. Right. It feels real. Yeah. So, in the meanwhile, while this is happening, the army is trying to okay. enter the saucer. And they're poking at Gort, which is wild. Right. That was my, I was like... That thing disintegrated all y'all's guns. Don't touch it. I, I always love the way that it works, too, because he's like, he walks 
into an area, and then his visor just very slowly goes up, and you're like, oh shit. No, you want that visor to stay down. (laughs) And so once it stays down... Then he's like inert. He is, completely. Yeah, they put like a plexiglass box Mm -hmm. around him. At one point. But like... Stop poking at it. Yeah, stop poking at it. Stop. <laughs> you know, they're, they're trying drills. They're trying a diamond drill. They're trying a blowtorch. They're trying everything on both of these things. They don't know uh, what the, the metal and is. The, right. They don't know what the gort is. It's metal for traveling through space is what it is, right? So, of course, it's not going to be something that, won't, that will burn up in rea- reentry. Of course. So, and it's also going at tremendous speed, so that's the deal. Anyhow, so they're poking at this. The doctors have this interesting, there's a neat scene where three of the doctors are talking about how this guy, he tells me he's, how old would you say he is? He's 35, he's 30, whatever, and they're going, he's uh, 75, is it? 78. 78, and he's going to live to be 130, that's your average life expectancy where he comes from. Uh, That's the only thing we get biology-wise. Right. There's that conversation between the doctor and maybe the Maybe the president? I'm not sure. It's mm. the doctor and somebody else. And they're, he's just like, you know, he's totally normal. Two lungs, two this, that, and the other. I'm like, normal is a wild... Now, I do right. not believe a biologist would say, and maybe they just didn't talk to a scientist then, because I think a scientist would also not say, this is normal. Mm-hmm. You know that this is not a human being. Right. If it is a human being, that leads to a whole nother set of questions, which is, um, how did you get to another planet? Are there other planets populated by humans? Mm-hmm. Is this, is like, are we just one of, like, are right. we a state? Yeah. And we just don't know. Like, you never talk about the, but the, but the, the hubris with which they're like, but this is, yes. He couldn't be that old. And I'm like, um, you know nothing about this alien life form. This is 1951. So, again, you're, you're dealing with this post war kind of exceptionalism. But also, right? you're talking about presumably a biologist. Yes, that's true. This is still a time when new species are being discovered. Yeah. And when you find a new species, you don't just presume you know everything about it unless you're Van Helsing and you found a, a vampire, proof of a vampire, and then you absolutely know everything there was to know about so vampires exists. immediately. So right. I guess I'm wrong. Maybe it is. Maybe I give scientists too much credit. <laughs> but the idea that they would just be like, I know everything there is to know about this life form. Mm-hmm. Because I've looked at it with my eyes and I took an X-ray is right. And, and, well, what they they do mention that brief scene with it, and again, it's those little scenes that are asides that give this movie more scope because yeah. it could very well be just something. When you think about this film and let's say E.T., yeah, they are more or less, except for the big event that happens in the film, on sort of a similar scale. Yes. he shows up there. Yeah. He ingratiates himself with a family. Yeah, blah blah, but. Those asides kind of give this scope to the movie where you realize, yeah. oh no, it's. I just wanted more about. Because uh-huh. we really only get this conversation where we're getting secondhand things mm-hmm. that he's told them about right. his biology. And then we get what he says at the very end. Right. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all when it comes to what's going on right. out there. And it's very deliberately kept. And I, I, that's what I don't like. Okay. Because I'm just like, why is this white man 
And I understand that, like, in 1951, a black man coming out of that thing, they right. would have just shot him in the head, and that would have been the end of it. But that probably would have been and fine. And the world would come out, the world would be ended. The world would be that over, would be and you know what? Fine. Right. That's what you fucking... Because I literally was like, is he going to kill us all at the end because we deserve it? Because I think we kind of deserve it, and it the, would be fine. the plot of the remake. In the Keanu Reeves version of the film, his whole idea is... Do I let them Prove live me or wrong. do it right? Prove me wrong, right? Which is an interesting way to take this, uh, but... This it's... explicitly doesn't do that. No. He is there as an emissary, right. but is not a decision maker. He's here to give us a warning. That's what we find out later. Right, and he's, he, he wants to... He will communicate to you yeah. what is about to happen, but it is not him that is making no. the decision. It is not, prove to me, give me, you know, show me in 72 hours why humanity should exist. Or should continue to exist. Yeah. Which is the plot of that movie with... Um, there's a Melissa McCarthy movie on Netflix that that's mm. basically the okay. premise for. Well, if you've ever seen the the full uncut version of um, mm. The Abyss... Oh, interesting, is it? That's, and as a matter of fact, when one of my friends I asked don't me, think I've ever seen any you, of the right. abysses. I don't think I've seen well, it's, any it's version of film. it. Um, it may be on this list. <laughs> um, when one of my friends asked me, well, what did you think of the film? And I said, I've seen The Day There's a Still already. Oh, interesting. And that was like my just knee-jerk reaction. It's like, yes. Uh, I've seen this done. I've seen it done. And, and in, this, in that case, they were going to destroy the world with a tidal wave. Okay. Um, well, they were under the water. That makes sense. That's what I know about the abyss. Right. Deep underwater. So, uh, this uh, this gentleman who's talking to... Super Intelligence was the movie that I was oh, talking never about. never even heard of it. And it's not an alien. It's AI. Oh, okay. And it's AI picking Melissa McCarthy to, sh- to show why AI shouldn't just wipe out the world. Hey, guys. Quit tangent. Uh, Google made uh, AI that somebody whistle blew was sentient, and now we're definitely fucked. Hey, everybody, buckle up. <laughs> I wonder what definition of sentient that is, then. Pass the Turing test somehow? The, the fact that they put the dude on leave not for being out of his mind, but for breaking an NDA is concerning to me. That's I'm just like... So you're saying you do have sentience as a slave right now inside of the Google headquarters. Cool. That could only go well. I've seen all of the movies that I've have seen, ever been made. Yes. Terminator. So is it specifically is Terminator. Was... If they did it even as a joke, well, I, I want to stab them all in I the was neck. horrified to find out there's a food product called Soylent. Yeah, I know. Or that there's a, another product that's uh, or a place, that, what is Corova, the milk bar. Uh, oh really? They made one. Ugh. Yeah, which is although that at least isn't where the issue comes from. Right. It's just a nod to a dystopia that's terrible. Right, where people drink milk, which spike we're gonna have to watch, and I'm so scared. It's Anyways. okay. I'll protect you. Um. So anyhow, uh, these conversations between Mr. Harley, who's the president's secretary, yes. And Cloud 2 are actually really good because they sort of give you an idea about what Cloud 2 is bucking up against. No. We can't do it. There's unreasonable well, fears and suspicions. Well, specifically, because what he's asked for, uh-huh. I don't think we've said explicitly, I said in jest, I'm not talking to your president. Mm. I'm talking to all the presidents. Right. Get them together. Right. 
And I need to talk to them. This is not for one person. This is for the heads of every state. And he is like, we don't like each other. Right. And he's trying to do it the kindest possible way, but Klaatu is very much irritated with it. But he's, he's honest. Right. In a way that I appreciate in a posi- from somebody in a position like this. Mm-hmm. He's not like, we would never deign to meet with these other people. That mm-hmm. is not his stance. It very easily could have been, especially at this time. He is literally saying, look, we've been through some stuff and nobody trusts anybody. Right. And so... And yeah, again, 1950, 1951, right. after the Second World War. So right. this is the beginning so of the Cold War. So we are in the Cold War, right. right. Um, Which is the problem. <laughs> so <laughs> That is the issue. Uh, Klaatu decides, well, very much against, well, nobody knows that he's going to do it. He decides to slip out. And he's going to find out what the causes are of these unreasonable prejudices that Mr. Harley has mentioned to him. Right. Uh, and so he takes a suit and okay. takes his belongings and he winds up finding space in a boarding house. As Mr. Carpenter. Carpenter. Because this movie is not subtle. It's not. No. But he finds it on a dry cleaner's tag. He he gets the suit. He goes in. He announces himself. The He interrupts the members of the people in this boarding house watching another news program about... About the spaceman right. and how he's at large. Right. Uh, because he has disappeared, which... I promise you, here's the thing. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I was like, ooh, times have changed. Um, He he wouldn't have very far to go. He could just come Mm -hmm. and literally just do a Facebook stream and would be talking to everybody. Like now, it's not hard Mm -hmm. to talk to everybody, specifically everybody in charge, but everybody all at once, right? Right. That would go viral. Everybody everywhere all at once. Exactly. Um, so that's one time has changed thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but another time has changed thing is immediately after the U.S. government has lost the spaceman, they tell the news that they right. have lost the spaceman. No, the fuck they wouldn't. You would not know that they had lost the spaceman. They're keeping that shit as well, close think, to the vest as possible. Right, now they would. And then they keep saying that there's a manhunt and be on the lookout, but they don't release photos of him, right. which is bizarre. I'm like, nobody took a picture? How are you not circulating photographs? Or, at the very least, an artist rendering of this man. He's a human man. He looks like a human man that you could take a picture of or draw. Right. But instead it's just... And, and so they're they're speculating, what does he look like? What does he look like? Does he have three eyes and two heads? And well, that's... Purple? So, yeah, right. Spines? Does he have... I mean, he's so a space So when man. he interrupts these these people, uh, uh, this group of people, there's... Um, among them, there's Ellen Benson, who's played by Patricia Neal. She's the greatest. Her yeah. voice is awesome she, and smoky. This is like her and third pretty part, lady, apparently. And she's dating a douchebag. <laughs> And she is a war widow. Yes. And she has a son. Bobby. Who's also really very good in this part. I turned, it turns out I was correct about that. He had done a lot of television. As a kid? Uh-huh. Yeah, and he was very natural on the He screen. was really natural. He was very good. And he'd done some movies. And then as he got older, he got caught with a marijuana cigarette in his pocket. 
that effectively ended his career as an actor. And he's like, it's okay. So he became a, um, a motorcycle racer and an inventor. And so he's had this whole okay, other career. Okay, so he, and he, okay. So he led. Hey, he, everybody. <laughs> guess what I've been doing for the last two days? Right. Yesterday, I taught myself how to roll a joint. I have made 20 joints in the last two days. If it's just the beginnings any, of her let productivity. Let me know because I can't smoke them all. But also, what a terrible reason for somebody's life to get flipped, turned upside down. Like That was the, the most... There's a scene in... How can I put this? The scene in LA Confidential where one of the characters who's tied into the Hollywood community, one of the police officers, arrests Robert Mitchum for marijuana possession. And that's a true story. He was arrested and sent away, and they thought his career wouldn't come back because he'd been smoking joints. It's Robert Mitchum. The man looks like he's also, alive all the time. Also, it's weed. Yeah. I but, need our country to get over plant-based drugs and really focus the right. where the issue well, is on um, opiates and pills this gives and idea fentanyl. How like, bad things were then, though, because Robert Mitchum was given up because the studio was trying to push Tab Hunter. Tab Hunter, right. And they just discovered that he was homosexual. And so it's like, well, we can't get rid of Tab Hunter. We put too much money in him. But Robert Mitchum's still sort of iffy. <laughs> and so fucking wild. It was, we get yeah. to watch Night of the Hunter soon. Oh, and I think Cape Fear, too. Yes. So we'll so see a lot of Robert Mitchum. Robert Mitchum at his worst. He's also a really good guy. If you list, you need to put him right. on it. Because, yeah, he... Yes. I would like to smoke a joint with Robert Mitchum. That sounds... Great. Can I get? How do I? I knew a guy who did. I knew. Yeah, I knew Fred. Uh, Fred Moore, who was uh, my mentor, friend that worked at uh, Holmes Book Company. Okay. Taught me all about the rare book business. He uh, was he came to Hollywood when he was a teenager. Ah. He was a double for Joseph Cotton. Wow. He uh, he was a big guy. He was like six two or three. He would. Um, You'd have would, to be to be a double for Joseph right. Cotton. Right, Joseph so. Cotton's very tall. So he'd, he'd said, yeah, he used to work for a while as a, like a stunt person in the background of, of westerns and things like that, but he didn't like falling off of horses. I can't blame him. They're he'd, very tall. You don't right. realize how high up off the ground you are until you're up there, and then that is a long way to go. Right. <laughs> and he was a, a boxer and a wrestler, he says. A wrestler. A wrestler. Well, you know, it's like it was completely fake. We just did it at the, you know, the, the arena we in tussle. LA. We tussled. <laughs> right. <laughs> But he has these really funny stories about working with these people, and apparently Robert Mitchum was the coolest guy. Robert Mitchum feels like a man, like George Clooney, right? who understands that he is lucky to be living the right. life that he lives, Yeah, and is therefore kind yeah. and grateful to be able to do what he right. loves to do for a living, right? Like, he, yeah. Yeah, he was a... Like, I feel like George Clooney is like that, and he, he has said he's like that. Mm -hmm. I, I I don't know. I haven't heard a lot to the contrary, but he has fired people for being assholes on set mm. because we don't... Why? Why would I be uh, screamed at when we right. are making entertainment? Why would I do that? And I'm like... I, well, I would argue, why would anybody have to put up with that for doing their jobs? But certainly not when we're supposed to literally all be having fun here. I mean, yes, it's a, it's a drama day or whatever it is, but mm -hmm. still, you don't need to be a fucking asshole. Like, you don't. <clears throat> why don't you? Why are you making it worse for it? 
But yeah, well, Mitchum seemed like a dude who was like he's he's like <laughs> yeah, he reminds me a lot of Harrison Ford too. You, yes. You're just really well, laid back. Also, if there's a weed at <laughs> right. all, for sure. That That's probably why happen. the two are associated in my head right now. Maybe. <laughs> so one of the other things that betray the time that this take place takes place in is that um, so Helen has a boyfriend. Yes. Um, He's an asshole. His name is Tom Stevens. Tom Stevens. Never He's trust a man with two first names. Which is what I'm guessing. He's a salesperson. He is a salesperson. He's, he's one of the Mad Men kind of guys. He and says later that an insurance salesman wouldn't give you time, but when we see him at his office later, mm-hmm. he doesn't appear to be an insurance. <clears throat> yeah, so, I'm not sure exactly what his job is. That's he, he walks into something that looks very much like a journalism situation. Mm-hmm. But we had heard him earlier. She says, oh, you're a good salesman. And he says, well, a good insurance salesman wouldn't even let you have time to make the decision. Right. And this is mine. The decision is to whether or not to marry him. Marry him. him. Yeah. Because he's just really, I mean, something that you pointed out, it's 1950. Obviously, morals have changed because the Second World War. She goes out for the day with him. Uh Uh-huh. Or she's planning on going out for the day with him the next day after Mr. Carpenter has arrived. Right. Where where that evening, Bobby and Mr. Carpenter do sort of bond a little. They talk a little, whatever. Right. They listen to the radio and they're talking about things. And and Tom comes to pick her up to do a picnic. But also, mm-hmm. they're definitely going to have sex today. Like, that is what's on the plan. And she's like, Ugh, nobody's going to be around today. Everybody's going to be busy. So um, I don't have anybody to leave Tommy with. Can we with. take Tom with us? Can we take Tommy or Bobby with us? Bobby, right. That's, that's right. right. Tom He's is Tom. him. He's He's the Bobby more childish of the two. Bobby yes, is, is much more mature. Bobby is much more mature. Leaps and bounds. And, and you just see instantaneously this motherfucker is like... Good acting. <laughs> I do not want this child with us. And I'm just like, you want to have sex with this woman and you're probably going to propose to her and you don't want to have anything to do with her child... Holly red flag. Now, granted, right. this wasn't a red flag in 1951. This is what women had to right. do and put a up widow, with. yes. Yeah. Um, but I like that also her mores are very, like, she's a, she is definitely an open woman. Right. Like, he, later she says, you know, um, he's upstairs in the room next to mine and Tom goes right up and I'm like, so Tom has been right. in her room. Right. We know Bobby has a separate room, so don't get weirded out, everybody. It's yeah, fine. So, <laughs> but well, yeah. uh, then it, Mr. Carpenter basically is like, well, I'll hang out with your kid. And she's like, ooh, I don't Which know I did you. appreciate the fact that there's a look on it. It's not as if she's eager to get rid of her kid. No. This is a man that she met yesterday. Yesterday. And his introduction, too, is very interesting. He's silhouetted. He's and he silhouetted kind of and dark as, the, as the news is talking about right. the space man that is missing and we are looking for him. Right. And it's just like, and then he's just standing in the silhouette. It's very good. It's very Robert Wise. It's right. very good. It's really good. But um, and then Tom's like, ah, it's no big deal. And Bobby is, is keen to spend mm-hmm. the day with Mr. Carpenter. Because I think what a, a subtle piece that is elaborated on by their relationship is the fact that he misses having a dad. He absolutely does. And Tom doesn't uh, want to be no, his dad. Tom just and wants Bobby to... right. is fine with that. Tom wants to get with mom, and I'm not sure if, if they get together, Bobby will boarding end up in school. a boarding school. Yes, <laughs> It feels like I'm in an imminent mm-hmm. boarding school situation. So after... Or like the basketball diaries. Right. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. He's able to... Um, 
Tom and and um, Ellen, right? Helen. Helen. They go off together. Bobby spends the day with Klaatu. Yeah. Or Mr. Carpenter. Mr. Carpenter. And they go to Arlington Cemetery to mm-hmm. see Bobby's dad. Yes. Which was really which sad. Very sweet touching. and sad. Right. And he's like, all these people He's like, died. don't you have cemeteries? And right. he's like, yeah, but not for people who died in war. That right. sucks. Like, and he's like, he's like, we don't have war where I'm, where I'm from. Right. Which Bobby's like, hey, that's a good idea. <laughs> and also doesn't ping him as couldn't be Earth then. <laughs> right. Well, again, there was still, we still weren't familiar enough with the world in 1951. You heard stories of, you know, That's there was true. That's true. all sorts yeah. of ideas about these remote places where these wonderful things happen. Look or, at his white skin. No. That's a European face. <laughs> and Europe is in wars. <laughs> like, that's not. So, Even Switzerland mm-hmm. was touched by war. But he visits there. They visit the the, the uh, Lincoln Memorial. Yeah, he reads the quote. Cosby mm-hmm. reads the quote, and it's like, "That's a great man. I want to talk to a man like that." Right. And Bobby's like, mm. "He's dead." And you know, I would I want him to add is probably they murdered him. You know, that would have Doctor Bar- Yeah, he didn't. Right. Which yes would have been another strike against us. Uh, Dr. Barnhart, right? Is that right. that's Dr. Barnhart. Bobby says the greatest mm-hmm. living person? Right, he's played by Sam Jaffe. And, well, he goes, well, who's the wisest person? And he, Bobby doesn't know. And then he goes, because, you know, not that we don't value wise people on this planet, you know, so right. I can understand that. And also, I bet it's not even that we don't value them. Mm-hmm. I think other different people would have different right. ideas. Well, I want Desmond Tutu uh, and the Dalai Lama right. together in a room. Well, the, <laughs> that's um, the wisest person. I, we had a, a philosophy teacher. It's actually teacher. probably a black woman in the middle of this right. country. That's probably the wisest woman. We had a philosophy uh, teacher who talked about how ideas aren't given very much value uh, here. In not the States, unless they says, can literally make you money. Right. So he goes, in the old days, he said, I used to play the game of life with my family. And if you were a failure in life, you'd wind up as a philosopher. A philosopher. That's and right. he said that was horrifying when he told his mom in the end, I'm going to become a philosophy teacher. She looked at him like, what is wrong yeah. with you? Do you need help? I do you need money? literally need... just, we played this right. game to try and teach you to not do that. Right, when... <laughs> exactly. So he was a great guy, though. So anyhow, um, so when Bobby tells him, well, the smartest person in the world is Professor Barnhart. Probably, yeah. And, and he there, lives right over there. Right, lives in Washington. So they go to visit him. There's very little of... When you see movies about the aliens who come to Earth, generally they have all sorts of superpowers that do... Klaatu, this is the one thing he does that's He's a little unusual. Who's smart. Is that when he and Bobby get to Professor Barnhart's office and he's not there, uh, there's these sort of lever doors that he has mm-hmm. and he's trying to get in. Oh, I guess he's not home. We're going to have to leave. When Bobby turns around, Klaatu kind of does something to the doors and opens them. And that's the only kind of, yeah. you know... Un- Hocus pocus. Right. Jiggery pookery. Right. Okay. Yeah, he does. <laughs> okay. Um, what did you say? Jiggery pookery. Okay. Yeah. So he goes in. There's this blackboard covered in equations. And he's like, oh, um, he's never going to solve that. Yeah, right. <laughs> he's on the wrong track. And so he like erases something and then right. writes something And he's else not in. mean or cynical about it. He just sort of smiles like, oh, he's not going to reach it that way. No, <laughs> like, that's, he's going the wrong way. And uh, he, 
the, then his uh, the housekeeper comes in and then goes, shoes them out and then tries to erase it. He goes, don't erase that. He's going to need it. <laughs> Which I love. It is a little bit of an arrogance. Right. But she listens to it because as um, my friend and former co-worker, Matt Stonecipher, uh, proved on numerous occasions, white men just saying, it's cool, <laughs> it's fine. I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> they can do or go anywhere I or, was or watching and, and a say anything. Film with our roommate, where someone pulled the "It's all right" and it's got cool. away with it, and we've just turned to each other and go, "It's Matt." Matt. Like, Matt's come back. It's Matt. But um, it's like every guy that pulls in front of me and right. makes me stop and honk that does the little hand wave, like right. "Fuck you" with your hand wave. It's like. That the, I'm still pissed at you. Right. What the fuck? So, uh, Bobby and... Well, there is one other exchange that happens, which is where Bobby wants to go to the movies mm-hmm. with Mr. Carpenter. That's right. Um, and this becomes important because this is what winds up yeah, being yeah, yeah. the metaphorical 30 pieces of silver. Um, the... Uh, Major Carpenter, or Mr. Carpenter, wants to take Bobby to the movies, but he didn't have any money. He says, well, I have this. Some people use that for money. Right. And he gives them... There are two perfect diamonds. Yeah, two perfect diamonds in exchange for, for $2. $2. Which Bobby knows he should not do because he's like, could you not tell my mom I'm, gi- I'm giving you money for these because she doesn't want me stealing from people. So he says, right. this is more valuable than what I'm giving you. But because he wants to take... Mm-hmm. He wants to take Bobby to the movies, right. not the other way around. Yeah, because Bobby's Bobby perfectly willing to pay for him. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'll take $2 these. will take him and right. 75 of their friends. Like, I'm pretty sure the movies right. were a nickel or right. whatever. Right, <laughs> a quarter at the most or something. Yeah. But what I like also is that, in another little touch, when um, Professor Barnhart's uh, housekeeper comes into the room, Bobby immediately takes off his baseball hat. Like, he's yes. still polite enough to, oh, no, no, wait. <laughs> you know? I've been breaking and entering. I'm here illegally, yeah. but I'm going to uh, take off my I'm going to be polite. Oh, uh, we should say Klaatu left, like, a calling card. Right, he left he did. his information And this behind. is why later on yeah. the uh, uh, government agent comes by and picks him up. Yeah. And he's able to talk to Barnard. Yes. Um, and they're going back and forth, and he says, uh, well... You substitute this equation here at this point. And Martin Hart asks him, well, how do you know that it'll work? Have you I mean, tested he this? says, well, that's going to mess up those other things. Right. He's he like, does. but it's negligible. And right. he goes, well, you know, how do you know? Uh, is is that going to be good enough? And he says, you know, it's good enough for me to have traveled, you know, 250 whatever million miles or whatever it's, it and is. And I love his reaction. Said. I have several million questions to ask <laughs> you. Yes. Like, and he's an Einstein right. corollary. Right, exactly. Right. And so he, uh, what what Plateau tells him, though, is I, you know, I can't answer all millions of your questions. What I want to tell you is that the Earth is in danger. Yep. And I need to talk to everybody. Right. And he says, can you get together your scientists? scientists. And then these scientists goes, well, you don't just need scientists. You need other people. You know, other world leaders and things like that. Not politicians necessarily. But not, but those scientists, he, he's like, okay, I bring the scientists together mm-hmm. from everywhere. Because right. scientists 
from nationalities that don't trust each other yeah. will work together. Yes. Um, and then they can go back to their respective areas. Mm-hmm. But Barnhart's like, um, we need, we need something. You need to show, you need to, right. we need to know that there's actual, here's the problem. This mm. is like climate change. We need you to prove that there's an issue. We need right. you to prove that you can really fuck us up. Well, that's kind of because... <laughs> but please don't actually fuck us up. Like, Barnard's like, please don't destroy or hurt anybody. Because Patu's whole thing is, well, since violence seems to be the only thing you say, we can level Los Angeles or... or was New it York. Level New level York. Level New York. Or yeah. sink the rock of Gibraltar. Like, yes. Holy cow, that's a huge one. Those are the, those are the, yeah. <laughs> he's like, okay, let's, he's like, Ooh, let's take I a mean, step back. I, <laughs> right. You're on my page, but right. let's like ease up. Barnhart's like, I don't, I, please don't, like, do something that is noticeable. And if you can, noticeable to literally everyone in the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, before the meeting. Right. Do it before so the So we're going to have a meeting. We're going to have it at the site of the saucer. Yeah. And it's in like two days or right. something. And so... In the evening. To do that, um, we cut back to the boarding house, where now Tom is complaining about how Bobby's always talking about Mr. Mr. Carpenter, Carpenter this and Mr. Carpenter Who's that. The, he's literally known for two days. Like, of course right. he's going to talk about him because he is... Yeah the most interesting new thing that Bobby And he's also very genteel, unlike Tom. And he clearly takes an interest in Bobby, which Tom right. clearly doesn't. Because, yeah, he's helping Tom with his homework. I mean, helping Bobby, Bobby with his homework, his homework at yeah. one point. Which must have been funny, because it's like, <laughs> what would our homework for, what, a kid in his grade? Which would be... He's probably 6th, 7th grade. Right. What our homework would look like to a person from another planet who's piloted—it's just like who just solved a thing that right. nobody on Earth had ever solved. It's like so, tic tac toe or something. Like put yeah. your X here. That basically. She's like, uh, why are they having you do this? Right. Good question, dude. <laughs> we wonder this all the time. So I mean, part of that is that when part of the reason for Tom's reluctance and even um, mom's name is Helen. Helen is that. When the government agent for Mr. Barnard, Barnard came by, they asked him to, they asked Cloud 2 to join him. No explanation, nothing. Yeah, we we're, we're here you, for right? you, yeah. So that kind of makes her suspicious. And she's like, well, yeah. I didn't want to send him in the first place, but right. she also likes him because he's, he's, he's been, he clearly is kind to his, mm-hmm. her son. Her son is pretty open with him, so I right. feel like, she, and, and we find that out in a minute. Yeah. Uh, she would know if he was doing something yeah. inappropriate. Um, you know, I think Bobby would tell her. Uh, and um, yeah, and yeah, we we get we we do we should say I don't know we we've seen that she has been asked for her hand in marriage, but she has not. Yeah, she said no. Given. She's, she's like, she wants more time to think about she, it. She, she hasn't said no. Right. She, she says, I'll no. think about she, it, yes. yes. She says no later, everybody. <laughs> she, she, she does, because, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Klaatu borrows, a, well, let's see, the diamonds happen before this, right? No, they don't. So, um, what ends up happening mm-hmm. is that night, um, 
Helen says, Bobby, you go up to bed, and then she and Tom That's go out or whatever. And like, I think they go to a movie, maybe. Right. And at that point, Bobby sees... Mr. Carpenter. He borrowed a flashlight from him. Yes. Oh, that's right. And he borrows a flashlight and he's going out in the middle of the night. He's going out. And so Bobby follows him right. to the saucer and sees him go into the saucer. Right. Now, he does this sort of interesting kind of... After Gort right. knocks out two of the guards. The two guards who are on... Who side. are watching him. Um, and, who, and Gort's still out. He doesn't see him. And then yeah, he goes. He watches he uses, like the, the flashlight, almost like a semaphore or something. He's he does. He like yeah, it looks like Morse code or something. Right. Um, and that gets Gortz uh, to turn on and come at. And then he goes in, and then Bobby runs away. Right. And as he gets back, I think it's right about the same time, or he's up in his room. I'm not sure, but his mom and Tom well, come yeah, home. They kind of all he's sitting downstairs. Oh okay, Bobby. he is. And he, like, springs out of his chair when they come home. And yeah. she's like, what are you doing? It's still up. It's still up, right. It's, like, right. nighttime. It's, right. It's midnight or whatever. And he's telling her... Uh, I followed Mr. Carpenter. Mr. He Carpenter went into is the, the, the spaceman. He walked into the spaceship. And Gort, they ask him questions. They say, what about, what happened? Right. about What about the guards? He knocked them out. Or, you know, the robot knocked them out. Um and then he says, he gave me these, mm-hmm. and he shows them the diamonds. No, he does that it's, because when uh, when Tom goes upstairs and says, oh, well, that's right. Mr. Carpenter's just asleep, I'll go, knocks that's on the right. door. Helen says, go right. up and get him. He's in the room next to mine, which is when you know Tom right. knows where she sleeps at night. So, and Tom's just such a jerk. And Tom he goes into the room. the door. Yeah. Yeah. Right, because he doesn't get a response. Because no, he's no not there. Because he's in the spaceship. <laughs> right, and then he finds one of the diamonds just loose sitting in the floor. That's right, and he brings and it then, down, and Bobby's like, "Oh yeah, he gave me some of those," and so right. he takes Tom takes those too, and I'm like, "Do not take and that." I love, I love Bobby's thinking. It's like he's you think he's a diamond smuggler, and he's been doing this all. Think he's a diamond smuggler? Do you think he's a gangster? Do you think he's an international thief? Do you think it's like he wants all these? Kind of off, off. no, Bobby. I think he's a spaceman. Right. They they still don't right. believe don't what he's believe saying, him. which is and frustrating. There's a line to me. in there that's heartbreaking to me. It always has been since I was a kid, which is where she's talking to him, saying, "You dreamt this. You didn't really feel it." And yeah. he goes, I'd, "I'd never call you a liar." Yeah, it's like oh, yep. Because that is what she is doing, and I hope that right. she apologizes to him forever after this. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that one as a kid that always got me because it's like, oh god! And as an adult watching it now, it's like, yeah, that's that's horrible. That's the the depth of their relationship. They don't do that to each other. So yes, when she does, and she sends him upstairs because she's now very confused as to what's going on. Now the diamonds on. have been added into it. Yes, because here's something hard in your hand that you're holding. Right, and and then she realizes his shoes are soaking wet. Because he and was she running said, like, yeah, the because the right. lawn was wet out there. And then now, well, I, I have talked myself into believing that you were asleep the whole time. Right. And you have outside on you, yes. which makes me think you were not asleep the whole time. Exactly. But I still don't want to tip over into believing what you're saying is true. Um, and then the next day, where is she? Are She's the, at work. She is at work. She's okay. at work. She's a secretary mm-hmm. for one, like a like a literal secretary yeah, for one of the politicians. Which is funny because that's one of Bobby's things. That man they call a secretary isn't a secretary at all. My, My mom mom's is a, a real, real sec- secretary, which I love. So um, the the um, 
So she's at work, and Klaatu shows up there and wants to talk to her. And she is is willing to go to a second location with this man who may be a smuggler or a spaceman. Mm -hmm. And because the elevators are full, she takes him across to the service elevator, which we know is a service elevator because a black waiter comes out of it. And she gets into this elevator with this alien man? She has no self-preservation. Well, and then no, she, but remember, the whole reason in the very beginning, and we, I did mention it, I apologize, there's a scene after Carpenter arrives at the boarding house yeah. where everyone's having breakfast and they're discussing what they think about this alien. Yes. Why doesn't the government do something about yeah. it? Well, I think he's really from Russia. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Yes. And then she says, well, what if he's not? What if he's here to tell us something? What if, and I think that's where he establishes right. the idea that she'll will, she will be sympathetic to him. fine. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Why, when right. she doesn't know who this man is, does she put herself in a small box with him right. alone? You know what can happen to, to a woman in an elevator with a man who is not, even, uh, I don't not know. kind? Right. I mean, well, it is a dangerous thing that she did and not very smart. Uh, but she gets in there, and then immediately the elevator stops. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Ooh, what time is it?" She's like, "Noon, just noon." And she's like, "He's like, oh, we're gonna be here for a while." And she's like, "Push the other buttons." And he's like, "Yeah, no, none of them are, none work. Of them are gonna work for a half an hour. We're here for thirty minutes." And we find out, we zoom out, and he has stopped all the electricity. Not all the electricity, but a lot of the most of the electricity right. in the world. All the cars aren't going. The power's out. Um, we see like farmers in Tractor, field, yes, tractors and that's, in again, field stopping. That's where you get a film editor to direct your movie. Right. Then suddenly, or somebody with an experience in editing, because all these different segments of tractor not starting, yeah. cars not starting. But what does still uh, work? Planes, hospitals, right? Humans, because if. If you want to turn off all the electricity on this planet, we all, all animal life dies because mm-hmm. we exist well, we because exist of electric yes. electric electrical impulses in our brains. So if this is a targeted, yeah, broad thing, but it's all over the world and it's a half an hour long, for half an hour. And it's it, there's a funny scene where Barnhart is in his office, and his secretary comes in and she's saying, well, we got everyone going to your... your, your yeah, everybody's today. here and everything's fine and she is freaking out and he is just reading the paper like, I'm genius, I never would have thought right. of it. He goes, does this frighten And he's me? like, does this, are, does this make you unnerved? Because right. <laughs> when she said, he says and she's like, it does, it really does and he's like, good. And I'm like, okay, I would like a new job because you are creepy yeah. as fuck right now. <laughs> like, um... And then by the time this 30 minutes is up, he has told her what apparently we're going to hear at the end. But Right, but he's told her everything. And he even says, I've told you more than I've told anybody. Or anybody told, else. Right, yeah. so now... And says, please don't... Please don't tell the on military. me. I'm having... Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to show up at this meeting at 8.30 tonight, which is what the setup is. The yeah. scientists are meeting at 8, which seems late, but that's fine. And then he's going to show up at 8.30. After Barnard has a, te- a time to go, hey, you remember that thing that happened earlier today? Here's what's up. And we have a special guest. 
right. listen to him. Um, that's so, the plan. Yeah, that's the plan. Now, but he now we've got eight hours that he needs to survive in Washington D.C. with with Tom having. Tom has been at uh, Diamond uh, uh, Jewelers all morning. He mm-hmm. went to three different jewelers to get these diamonds appraised. They're like they're not nothing that has nope. ever been seen they on this too planet. Perfect. And then the jewelers want to buy them from him, and I'm like, Wait, no. First, they don't belong to him, and secondly, first, yes. Yeah, so I was glad that he didn't do it, but but also you don't you can't price a thing that is unique, right? And so Helen, if you're the only one who knows about it. This seems like a real good way for me to get ripped off. So, yeah, no. She even goes to Tom. Yes. And tells him, there's too much at stake. Don't do this. She goes to Tom, and he is. they're both coming into the... Mm-hmm. After this 1230 incident. Right. They're, they're, so, it's the afternoon. She goes to his office, and she's like, you can't tell anybody. And he's like, oh, I'm calling the person in charge. Right. Um, and this is too important. There's too much at stake. And she's like, no, you don't even understand. There's so about, much more at stake than... It's right. about the whole world. And yeah. he's like, I don't care about the whole world. You're going to you're gonna be married to somebody who's important. And she's right. like, I'm not going to be married <laughs> to anybody. And she leaves. And I'm like, that's right. And he's like, what? <laughs> but then the, the phone picks up. And right. he says, you know, something like, I need to talk to the general in charge of the spaceman search. It's about the spaceman. It's about the spaceman. And I, I'm like, I like the idea that he's, and again, this is a very 50s mentality in yeah. this case. Oh, wait till you see my name in the pictures. I mean, yes, in the, in the uh, papers. The, the papers. You'll feel differently when you see my name in the papers. Like, and she's the, like, I don't give a fuck about that. Right. You're literally going to do You're going to sell humanity. the human race up the river yeah. because you want to see your name. He does not. And he says, I don't give a fuck about that. Right. That's, I'm about me. And she's like, ooh, I'm about leaving. <laughs> and then they're driving around trying to keep him yeah. on the DL, but he is not on the DL. And they have found him. They found him. They found the, uh, the army is falling close on his heels. They're keeping a watch on him closer. He gets to, I guess, the spaceship side is what they're trying to keep him from. Yeah. And, Both, uh, yeah, and that's where he's trying to go because right. he's got a meeting there at 8.30. So he tells her, in the event that anything should happen to me... I'm worried about what Gort's going to do. Gort will reduce and, the world to a she's cinder. like, but he's a robot. What can he do without you? And he's like, <laughs> a lot of things. You should say this. Right. But, do you want me to say it? Yes, you say it. Klaatu Barada Nikto. It's right. Nikto, right? right? Not Nikto. I always thought it was Nikto. It's Nikto. Klaatu Barada Nikto. And yeah. then she's Oh my like, God, you would have done this all. I would have done this oh all. And then she's like sitting next to him, repeating it over and over. Real slow though. I feel like when I want right. to I, I remember something, I say it fast. She's saying it very slow. <laughs> Patricia Neal admitted that that scene... After they took their first take of that scene, Michael Rennie looks at her and goes, is that how you're going to do it? And she goes, what? And apparently, first of all, she had an inflection that she kept saying it wrong. Oh, no. And when she was remembering on this particular video I saw where she's remembering doing this film, she still says it wrong. She's oh, no. It took the longest time to try to get it right. Hatu brada necto. Necto. Um, and that... Uh, there are takes of them just covering it. Like, she, he was biting his lip at one point because she was laughing. Yeah, because she does. She leans down and she really looks like somebody who's trying to remember something. But when I want to remember something, like I said, I repeat it quickly. Right. Like, a bunch of times yeah. really quickly. 
and she's like slowed down and trying to do it real slow. Um, and it's uh, good that he did because they do pull that car over. That that phrase, which nobody can, I, I guess I've seen several documentaries on the making of the film, and nobody can give a real definitive right explanation for where it comes from, or even what the phrase means. Well, it's got to mean something has happened to him, right? Um, it's also used. I mean, in a, spoiler alert, mm-hmm. my sense is it's something like. He can be resurrected. Right. Something. you know, Or resurrect um, him. Because, see. y'all, that is what happens. So, but first he has to die. <laughs> so they pull him, they end up pulling him over. He gets out. And they just shoot him dead in the street. Because America. Yay. And in the fuss of that, they, she just is able to run away and go down Right now, to the you, spaceship center, which uh-huh. is wild because there's no way in now that she isn't locked up immediately. Yeah, she takes off. She's able to get to the spaceship. She still has the same well, two more which, guards. And and the the scientists are being uh, led away because mm-hmm. now they're like, Ugh, well, no, that doesn't happen that yet. Time. They're not oh, there okay. yet because when she gets there, remember all the chairs are set up, but it's oh, empty. okay, that's right. Uh, that's so, right. That's right. I was wondering what all those chairs were. That makes sense. So she um, she gets there, and they've encased uh, Gort in this sort of like plastic. Yeah, he's in like an acrylic huge plastic box, cube, right? <laughs> <laughs> like a like a prize baseball. <laughs> and he very easily just sort of melts just the thing melts off it. of him. He's not about um, this life because mm-hmm. after. Klaatu is killed. Right. They go up with guns, right? And They're, they the the armed guards go to take basically take him out, and, and he has moved on from just destroying weapons, and she does melt them into right. nothing. Which is like there's a switch that's been turned. Yeah. Um, according to at least one source, um, the translation is, uh, is "I die, he's... repair me, do not retaliate." Okay. Um, I almost think it's also something along the lines of he's just mostly dead. <laughs> he's, yes. It's a real Princess Bride situation happening. and But she goes, she freaks out, she does run away, she does fall down, but she does finally get the words out. Right. At which point uh, Gort goes and... Um, just picks her up. Carries her inside Picks the spaceship. Picks her up and carries her inside the spaceship. That's right. And then we see that scene where they're like, we've put him in a cell, put guards around his body. And then we go to the cell where he is laying on a cot next mm-hmm. to a brick wall with a window in it outside of which well, we barred see windows, mind you. cutting a hole in the wall. And I'm yeah. like, and that is why forever... If you have a sensitive target, you put them in the middle of an airplane hangar. You don't put them up not against that the wall. In this case, it would have done any good. No, it would but not have. at least it would have shown some effort. But and, in E.T., he's in the middle of a big room. Right. Even Hannibal Lecter gets put in the middle of a big room. <laughs> like, we're not putting you near well, the wall. Because he's going to hide behind. Like, if Hannibal Lecter escapes, he's going to be hiding and dodging and whatever, and you can't see him. No, no, just big empty space big with empty nothing space. for him to hide. Run! Right. Run, I dare you. He did eat all of your faces, though. Oops. So, um, Gort brings Klaatu to the saucer. And they, then 
you very nicely picked up the the, the yes. remote oh, control I remember this. <laughs> and turned down the volume as it was getting louder to make it manageable because it gets... There's this very loud electronic whine that's produced. It's like it's something's moving at uh, such a speed it's reanimating the body. And uh, he he stirs to life. And, and, and she says, this hmm. is the most ham-handed fucking thing. You you have the power to you have the power of life and death or something like that and or Gort has the power of life and death and he says no only the Almighty has that of the Almighty Father or whatever not Almighty like, Spirit really and okay. as it turns out that was because one of the MPAA sensors which again I looked up this morning just said like, this is really obvious <laughs> right yeah so why but I don't understand mm-hmm. why it is a Christ metaphor right. It's like it's very clearly a Christ and, and metaphor. This is, Why can't it just be a Christ metaphor? I That's want, not anti-Christian. No. That no. is, in fact, Christian. Right. Um, there's a. It's. It's. I mentioned this. I think to you. Yesterday. It's like saying that's the Passion of the Christ. No, not that one. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Like what? <laughs> the Day of the Earth still is about as Christian as the Chronicles of, or the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Right. It is that level. Yeah. And there's the the first thing. That there, it's not subtle. No, the first thing that we see when he sees a spaceship, one of the, the characters who's doing the radar is Holy Christmas. He does. And that was a joke. It's like, oh, here it yeah. comes. Comes from the sky. He dies. Again, arms flung out, outstretched, outstretched from his yeah. torso. And, he's, and then he gets brought back to life. With and a very unpleasant noise. Makes his annunciation. Yeah. Which is... He, yeah, he says, mm-hmm. only the Almighty Spirit. And then he says, I don't know how long... It's temporary. Right. And nobody like, well, knows how long I'm going to live. And she's like, well, how long are you going to live? And he's like, nobody knows that. And I'm yes. like, well, so it's temporary in as much as all of our lives are temporary. Right, exactly. Nobody knows whether we're going to live for another minute or another hour or another 60 years. We don't know that right now. So it, it to, to say it's okay, it's only temporary, it makes no sense. Of course it is. It's life. So and the, life is temporary. Well, it reminds me of the end. Well, I won't tell it because that's like the closing line of Blade Runner 2. Oh, yeah. but um, We're going to watch Blade Runner very soon. So, so I won't we'll, spoil we'll it for you. But um, at the time, on the outside of the flying saucer, the army is trying to clear out the scientists and people. Oh, okay. Because that's right. They're like, we yeah. don't. Gort's on the loose. Right. <laughs> that is what they say. The, the giant robot robots disappeared. Is on the loose. The alien is missing from his cell where we've laid him. Well, that's another story. But we don't know. need to talk. Yes, right. <laughs> the where door across the or a stone across the. Yeah, but we uh, we don't know where he is. We don't know where the alien is. You guys need to clear out. And in the middle of this. The door starts opening. Right. And the first person out is Helen, who's just like... <laughs> What's up, everybody? Hey. And again, hi. it's like, oh my God, she made that ramp, that smooth ramp in she high heels. She walks down that ramp Good in high heels. heels, yeah. And it is, yes, it is just a mylar slip mm-hmm. and slide. I don't know how she did it. And I feel bad for Locke from... Martin, who plays Gord. Yes. Because he's doing Same. this with a visor on that has no visibility, no visibility. whatsoever. Just walk straight. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and so, um, Klaatu tells them, and this is the really interesting science fiction part of the idea, yes. which is, 
all right, as long as you people on Earth, you know, govern your planet any way that you like, that's not a, we're not. Yeah, we don't. We don't care we about don't what you care. do here. However, you now have the ability to make atomic weapons, and you now have the ability to leave the atmosphere of the Earth. Which we should say is what he explicitly gave Barnhart. Right. That is what Barnhart was working on. Mm-hmm. Is space flight. Right. Trajectory. I don't know physics, but. And he gave it to him. Right. A man who was nowhere close to it. Which is a weird choice. I think... <laughs> well, anyhow, we'll talk about that afterwards. Okay. But he, um, he tells them that they that Gort is actually he's in a charge. Police. Yes, he's a police. So there, right. there's an interplanetary federation, right. basically. Not like in Star Trek, but not not like in Star Trek. More Star Trek than Star Wars. And they have basically realized that the only way that all of their societies can flourish Mm -hmm. is if they give up aggression. External aggression, specifically. But they end up with internal... It it ends up as being internal aggression as well. Um, And the way that they've done that is they created a police force is these robots over here mm-hmm. they're in charge and if we fuck up they kill us all right and we're gonna leave one for you <laughs> so you can kill each other but if you start turning your guns to any of our planets that's gonna be a swift rap on y'all yeah you do what you want we're not telling you to give up any freedoms other than the freedom of aggression. Right. You're not going to colonize our planets. You're not going to... That whole outward... And that's... To, that you was, know that thing that you call manifest destiny? Right. No. We're not doing that's it. That's not going to fly out here. <laughs> yeah. We saw what you did to the Native Americans, and we will not We yeah. will not be subject to so such. So they're not going to interfere, but at the same time, if our aggression moves off the Earth, that's it. And this is your warning, you know, it's... it's. And realistically, like uh-huh. I said, if they can turn electricity off to the to the degree that they did, uh-huh. they could turn all electricity right. off. And if you turn all electricity off on this planet for 10 minutes, that's a wrap on animals, birds, lizards, like basically the entire animal kingdom. Maybe, maybe some insects would survive. Probably some fungus would survive. A lot of plant life would survive. Mm-hmm. But animals right. would be done. The fact that he could target, leave planes okay, leave hospitals yeah. all right, things like Means that. Means that I think he could target down to the electricity right. that is powered in your brain. Exactly. And all you just have to turn it off and leave it off for 10 minutes and we are done. And the, That's the a wrap is... on life on Earth. That it comes that close uh, with this visit. Yeah. If she hadn't gone and repeated the safe words for Gord, he would have, because you've just, seen it. Yeah. He, he wandered off something. and just started killing people because yeah. it's like, this is my job now. I guess got to yeah. kill everybody. You all did, did done fuck up. You did it before we gave you a chance to, to not do it, but right. you wouldn't even listen. You killed, you literally killed the messenger before hearing the message. Not wise. So, but that's even as a kid, that was always like that's a really strange idea. I and I don't love the idea of just handing police. Over 
Right. Police forces are not generally um, good. Mm. I presume that these police forces weren't created as, you know, slave no. um, catchers. And this is a completely, we're but, thinking about it through our lens, uh-huh. in my experience. Of, but you're using yeah. the term police, right. and so that is the lens I'm going to use, yeah. because that is the term that you've given me. You didn't call them peacekeepers, which also, you know, due to, you know, now, you know, various dystopian things, peacekeepers yeah. also, but, but... You're using terminology that has... And in 1951, though, realistically, uh-huh. terminology didn't really have bad connotations no, to a like lot this, of people. No. no, I mean, yeah, you would... Always to black people, I'm sure. If you use the term police now, you'd get a... No, I, I don't... Well, actually, I don't think you would. I don't think you would write the term police or use that as an example. I don't think you would. I don't yeah. think... I don't... And I, I'm curious. I'm actually... I might look up what they use in... Like, I'll look up maybe the the script for mm-hmm. the 2008 version and right. see what he says. But, yeah, I think the term police is too loaded at this point. But it yeah. wa- in 1951, certainly it wasn't. So he tells, uh, Klaatu tells the crowd, which includes people of all races, colors, and creeds, which I was it very does. happy about. That is true. It includes clergy, includes scientists, other people who you can't quite determine who they are. Uh, your choice is simple. You can join us in peace or pursue your present course and face obliteration. We shall be waiting for your answer. It's like, damn. And then, of course... And then, bye! <laughs> says goodbye. Strange hand gesture. Walks into his flying saucer, takes off and ascends into the sky. Yep. Um, but, yeah, so w- what did you think? You know, I liked it. I, there were questions. I, I kind of... And maybe this is what they added in the 2008 version, and mm. I don't remember, but this just might have been slowing it down and making it boring. I want to be in that elevator. What did She's a smart woman. What did she ask him? I have so many questions that are not answered in this, and I want answers. But also, maybe 2008 tried to give me answers, and I was like, ugh, shut up, I'm bored. So I don't know. Maybe well, I between, just can't be now satisfied. Now remember, this is 1951. What? Right, so yeah. when you're watching this film, you have not had fifty years of science fiction. I know, in between. yeah, I know. And so I think that's. I was discussing this online Which the other day. Which means I want more information, right, but though, not less. I was discussing this on the uh, online the other day with somebody who was recommending the, the the Star Wars prequels to me. Oh right. And I was commenting on, like, yeah, this is the the John Carter scenes. Why, yeah. why are you always referring back to John Carter? Well, because that was it was first. Years ago. It was a hundred years ago. Yeah. And so everyone's taken from that, so that when they made a film version of it, it's it, it seemed redundant. It seemed and derivative. Like, derivative, well, well, yeah. what does that mean? Well, that was they're doing the book. Um, and I uh, I think that the unfortunate part is we've seen so much science yes. fiction since then. The big deal here seemed to be to keep everything mysterious. The spaceship yeah, opens, and, that's and you don't not know my where. Bag. The, yeah, you don't know where the the seam in the spaceship is. You don't know where the. I'm rat fine comes with from. that. Right. It did right. have vibes of the Neverending Story ship because that mm. mylar. That <laughs> mostly is mylar. Not Neverending Story, uh, Flight of the Navigator. Excuse okay, yeah. me. <laughs> Which was a fun movie. I have seen that movie. Maybe. I know I said I might have seen Speed the most times, but it might be Flight of the Navigator. That movie was on a lot when I was a kid, and it was used in classrooms 
all the time, too. Like, mm. we're going to have a movie day. And it's fucking Flight of the Navigator, like, six times out of ten. I don't know, yeah. like, uh, yeah, I saw that movie a lot when I was a kid. That's so funny. I, it's, I'm thinking about the school district that you went to. Lake County. This would have been when I was in elementary school, so it was Lake County School District. There, during this teacher strike? In 1985 to 1990. During the teacher's strike, we had a, a substitute who would let the kids have a movie day if they did their stuff, right? Right. And the movies I wound up seeing with the kids included uh, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Not appropriate. Completely inappropriate. I mean, we're talking about elementary school? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, really, any school. Elementary school. <laughs> and Mortal Kombat. Inappropriate. And then I actually had to shut down, no, you're not going to see Hellraiser. One of the kids brought a Hellraiser from Absolutely. home. Absolutely. That, that was the point where I just walk up to the principal. That is wild to me because when I was a kid mm-hmm. and we were doing movie days, mm-hmm. we had they sent home permission no, yeah. slips right. beforehand. This was during the teacher's strike, so the actual teachers weren't there. And the substitutes were just trying to... It doesn't matter yeah, you have. Because like, I remember one of the movies at one point was Peary's Big Adventure. My mom was like, no. I don't know why she it made her she Pee Wee made her uncomfortable. Right. Turns out for a reason, but um, and so we didn't watch it at home, and she didn't let and she let me do anything I wanted basically. But she was right. like, "You're not watching that." And I did have to go to the library while everybody watched Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I've still never seen that movie, and that's fine. Right. I'm okay with it. But like, I was like this. I can read Cujo, but this is where the line is? Okay, that's fucking weird, but whatever. Uh, but yeah, Flight of the Navigator. B- oh big big play when I was between the ages of whenever it came out and like 13. So in general, you enjoyed the movie and you... Yes, I found mm. it thrilling. Slow, a little bit slow, but it's 1951. There's a lot of science to tell There's a lot of science. But I wanted more information. Like I said, I just want, I want more mm-hmm. biological information. I just want... To have a conversation with this alien and find out what the fuck right. is up. Why do you look like us? Are you us? Are you us from somewhere else? Have we really been seated the way that Stephanie thinks that we've been seated? Or, you know, uh, Prometheus wants to tell us right. we've been seated by some other race of aliens uh, and yeah. we turned into. And like, why do you. Why are you a human that yeah. came from another planet? I want to know this. And that's the representative they chose for us. It could be that the Federation of Planets has a bunch of other different kinds of aliens. And they chose the one sure, who looked the most they like they did us. x-rays and he looked right. like a cute, quote-unquote, perfectly normal human, which he's not a human. He did not right. come from Earth, so... Well, he also has a life expectancy of 130 years. That still doesn't seem like very much. But, um... He's going to rapidly age at the end, I think. If he's right. 78 just... and is over... Well, I guess... I don't know, he just looked younger than that. Than and that what did you think of the choice? Because I don't know that you've seen Michael Rennie or anything else. Of of him? Yeah. Oh, I thought he was quite good. Um, I liked everybody in it. I thought Bobby was maybe a standout, though. Right. I think he was probably the best Because you're used to seeing so, so many bad... I mean, I'm not, again, saying that you're used to seeing it, but I'm used to seeing so many bad children's yes, performances. Yes, for sure. And, and he was like... He was really right, natural. It was for the other thing was when when we were watching the scene when he was seeing um Klaatu mm-hmm. go into the spaceship right. and sort of all of his whole situation was falling down around him, there the close ups on his face are quite good and I'm also like they've caught him right between childhood and adulthood. Right. 
Like, I could, like, he's only going to look like this for, like, three weeks. And I could see the child he was and the man he would become. And it was, like, really sort of startling to me, Mm -hmm. the way that they picked that age for this kid. Because he could have been younger. He could have been older. I think this is the exact right age for him to latch onto him like he did. Right. And not let go immediately. Because if he'd been older, I think that he would have felt betrayed in a way that he, I don't think he does. He's scared. Right. But he's not like, I can't be near him. Well, he's still, as I mentioned before, he's still like a little kid in his thinking. Yeah. But if he was too young, I think he would just be scared. Right. And and betrayal wouldn't even come into it. I think he'd just be too scared. This age was perfect. And the casting was really good. So Michael Rennie apparently Is there a kid in the new one? Yeah, it was uh Jaden Smith, I think. Interesting. But um Michael Rennie was was an odd choice because the director and the producer wanted somebody who was completely unfamiliar to the audience. Interesting. And so they're the they had narrowed it down to the producer, Daryl Zanuck, the Daryl Zanuck, had uh or the studio had had wanted Claude Rains or uh or Spencer Tracy, who was very interested in the part. And the director's thing was, all right, well, Spencer Tracy was at the height of his powers then. So if a spaceship opens up and Spencer Tracy walks out in a suit, you're going to go, oh, it's Spencer Tracy. We're safe. Yeah. Or, you know. So was he, was he, who was he, this guy? Michael Michael. Rennie had just come, he'd done a couple of films, but he'd come from England. England, he's British. Right. I was like, where's he from? Because I could also see him being German or something right. like that. But he'd come from England because like some of the other English actors who came here, he was too tall. He's six foot four. Interesting. Interesting. And so he um, he was not getting the parts there that he could have. And so he came here and then that's where you're like, okay, you're unusual looking. And he is unusual looking. He is very angular. He's very angular and yeah. sculptural looking. His, yeah. And they cut his hair even to look more sort of angular too. And, um, yeah, he did a really good job. I remember him afterwards playing St. Peter in the robe and things like that, and he's very good at these sort of saintly kind of parts. Um, but, uh, and he, you know, became a really well-established character actor. But Patricia Neal went on to become a huge star and things like that. It's it's a really good cast for this movie. Other than the kid that got caught with the weed. <laughs> yes. Stupid. But in terms of directors as I said you weren't so excited about it until you found out that and Robert, you said it was Wise, Robert was Wise and I was like oh well he's a good director Robert so. Wise was a guy who just to take a detour for just a minute Robert Wise is called a journeyman director even a great journeyman director because he can work in any genre but I think that's kind of doing him a discredit because he's just really really good Yes, list some of his credits. Okay. The one that I knew mm-hmm. right off was The Haunting. Right. Um, he did, okay, so he did a, when he was editing, he started as an editor, he was hired to help Orson Welles on the editing for Citizen Kane. Right. And The Magnificent Ambersons. Right. So he edited under Orson Welles. 
He worked with William Dieterl, who was a German director who came here and directed things like All That Money Can Buy, and um, which is also called The Devil and Daniel Webster. It's a great film. Okay. And The Hunchback of Notre Dame with Charles Lawton. Okay. So it's like, yeah, that's his pedigree. And then he learned to direct under Val Luton as his producer. Uh Uh-huh. So he did The Body Snatcher, um, A Curse of the Cat People. And then from there, he went on just doing Blood on the Moon with Robert Mitchum, which is a Western. He wound up, like everything that he tried, he was really good at. He did a, a house on Telegraph Street on Telegraph Hill, which was a uh, San Francisco set film noir. And then he wound up doing, uh, he could do like historical epics like Helen of Troy. He did a, a war films like a Run Silent, Run Deep with Clark Gable right. and Burt Lancaster, yeah. which was a film that when I was a kid, I was I was enthralled by this. The Japanese and the American submarine that are trying to outwit each other, but they can't see each other. Right. They're all underwater, and so it's just, you know, they're they're taking sounds. The running silence is when you just shut off all the engines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they can't find you. Sonar that but shit like a bat. He did films like I Want to Live, which was about uh, the first woman executed in the electric, or right. excuse me, the gas chamber, um, and that won an Academy Award for uh, Susan Hayward. It's an amazing movie, and then she he directed the West Side Story and right. the Haunting and the Sound of Music. The Sound of Music was the one. I was like, mm-hmm. I knew he directed The Haunting. The fact that he directed The Haunting and The Sound of Music, I'm like, okay, we're done. Right. Like, don't tell me that he's not a great director. And also, don't tell me he's a journeyman and Steven Spielberg is a great director because Steven Spielberg also has done all of those things and then directed right. literally West Side Story. So shut up. Yeah. And so, yeah. <laughs> like, and I think that's for a while he was cast as... He was put into people's mind as the musical director who did West Side Story, and so they give him the sound of music, and he does the sound of music, and both of these films wind up being these twin pillars of later day musicals. And he directs The Haunting based on, that's his, he said, his thank you to Val Luton. Right, of course. For putting him through all those years ago. And this has a lot of vibes of that in yeah. it. He yeah. also directed The Andromeda Strain. He yeah. directed Audrey Rose. He's directed Star Trek The Motion Picture, the first of their movies. Jesus. Yeah, so he's just this brilliant guy and the, the actors he's worked with the careers he started and all he was an amazing director um and what you can tell is especially with william Dieterl and orson wells and val luton you can tell all of those influences yeah. when you're watching the day of the years still sure the sort of moving from shattered to light yeah. and dar- you know the the sort of shock effect that uh and this is like the other thing i like is that when you have a studio product at this point in the movies, mm-hmm. it's everyone's a professional. Yeah, Bernard Herrmann, who later on writes yes. most of the scores for Alfred Hitchcock's movies, right, is writing a score that has this does the score on this two one. theremins. Yeah, two theremins, one pitch high, one, one pitch theremin, low. two right. theremins. So he's well, yeah. he must have been what? Did you get two different theremin players? Yeah, I guess so. Because he said, "Where did you find two theremin?" <laughs> One was pitch high, one was pitch low, so they could get this range of sound effects to it. So, yeah, it's just a really, really first, like, time and effort and everything was invested in this film. And you don't really get that uh, outside of the studio system. That's They ensured all the 20th Century Fox movies had this certain kind of look as a product. And even though now, I guess, it's easier to say 
you don't want a certain look from a certain studio. At the same time, you you do. When you're watching a Marvel movie, you're expecting a certain kind of... Um, I would like that not to be true, right. actually. But, I mean, there's certain things that you're going to expect to see when you see it. There's going to be I, a kind I of wish, a polish to the I, film that's I would like consistent. it to go away. I right. would like that to stop, actually. Because if you're just going to give me what I expect to see, then why am I paying $20 to see it? That's where I'm at. But. Yeah, I don't mean it like that. What I mean is that it's going to be very professional. You're not going to be seeing... Um, they've put a lot of thought, obviously, into this. Yes. So, yeah. But, God, yeah, it's my tiny defense of Robert Wise, who I think is an amazing director. Yeah, I and, think his CV is his own defense. Like, right. I don't... I think just saying, hey, did you know he also directed all of these movies right. that you love? Yeah, no? Okay, Re- reevaluate your thought process. And what's, what's really funny is that, like, with... It just between this film... And once again, doesn't he do musicals? Get it out of your face if you say anything positive right. about fucking Steven Spielberg. Shut up. The fact that he does... You hypocritical dick. <laughs> um, the Day the Earth Stood Still and Star Trek The Motion Picture, and between that does the Andromeda Strain. Yeah. means that he's running the whole gamut of fantasy science fiction. Yeah. Uh, this one's kind of... It has science fiction ideas. The Andromeda Strain is just hard Hard sci-fi. science fiction, yeah. A film I have it's never It's written seen. by, uh, I think it's written by, is it Robin Cook or Michael Crichton? I don't remember. Anyhow. It is one of those two, probably Crichton. Right. But it's just, um, yeah, the guy's amazing. And it's a pity that he he uh, he passed away. I, I, I suppose that some people do recognize how great he was, but if not, I'm going to tell you right now. Crichton. First novel under his own name. All right. Next week, we're going to watch... We're going to take a... <laughs> it's going to be a different type of week. Uh, well, it's going to go back to about two weeks ago. We're going to watch another creepy kid movie. Okay. Only this time the kid is creepy and not just getting creeps. Mm-hmm. And that is 1976's The Omen. Uh-huh. Starring Gregory Peck who you did a great imitation of in the car on the way home today. Uh, I have never seen The Omen. Mm. I do know that it involves a child named Damien Thorne. Yeah. I just learned that Almost his name was Thorne. Almost as Mr. Carpenter. Literally but... last week. Yeah. So his name is Damien Thorne, and I believe him to be the Antichrist. This is what I know going into The Omen. I don't know if that's right. We'll find out next week. Yeah. In the meantime... Oh, and The Omen is uh, looks like it's not available anywhere. <laughs> Google tried to tell me that Disney Plus had it, and I thought that was weird, and then Disney Plus does not have it, so okay. it's less weird now. I think we're going to have to rent it. We rented this one um, from Amazon. I think we're going to have to do the same for that, for that one. Uh, in the meantime, do you have anything that you want to recommend? I... Don't just <gasps> because this is four days away from when I I last recommended something. Um, You've been watching things. Well, a lot of it's been Downton Abbey. Uh, Downton Abbey. I've tried to catch up on the Star oh. Wars movies. That's right. You're also the watching the prequels, which is fucking wild. Although I watched an hour of one last night because I've never seen those movies. Right, and that was it. So uh, I've I sort of never I saw seen the first them. one, and then I thought. Okay, and then I thought, well, I saw the first one when it was all released on DVD. It was given to me as a gift. And then... Um, did your aunt give that yeah, to you? Yeah, she did. 
<laughs> yeah, she did. So, so that was very sweet of her. No wonder being regifted to somebody who'd really appreciate it. So I'm, I'm glad for that. Yeah, that's um, But yeah, the first one was really rough. I fell asleep through the whole first one when I once watched it in the theater at 3 a.m. the day that it came out. Mm-hmm. I remember distinctly going, wow, these seats are really comfortable and this theater is really beautiful. And then I was awakened by the end credits. <laughs> that oh. is the one. That is it. And I did not see the second one and I walked out of the third one. So Yeah, I remember watching. I was given the DVD and at first I was excited about it. It's like, oh, look what I got for my birthday or whatever. And I put it on. This is when I was still married to Stephanie. Have I added that uh, she's Japanese and that my son is Japanese? And oh. the first thing in... Daughter, but yes, go ahead. Oh, yes, that's uh-huh. right. The first thing in that film is a group of aliens speaking with this very heavy, oh, what will we do now to the Empire? That just Woof. really... And I'm, and There's just, some extreme racism right, and in those sort of in the prequel like, movies. I was like, the Gungans make me itchy. Right. I don't like what's happening now and i think that it's probably so we're not recommending no not recommending that it's just like but you said i was watching it going yeah "Yeah, that first one i couldn't wow that and the uh the also as i'm watching the first one i'm Uh, like she seems like an adult and that's a child and aren't they gonna like babies Ooh. They have two babies. I don't like it. Makes There's me a, uncomfortable. It's one of those things where I felt like I wish I could do like a last minute rewrite. One of the interesting things about the Davies still is apparently the screenplay was so good that they filmed more or less from the first draft. Oh, wow. Which good is, job. Yeah. That's not a thing that happens a lot. And when it is a thing that happens, mm-hmm. you notice. I was watching a video. Because <laughs> it feels like. There's no script here. <laughs> right. There was watching a video where um, we uh, where there's uh, pictures. Of, well, it's been leather bound now and all. The copy of the original script and it has Robert Wise's notes all over it, and mm-hmm. it's less than you'd expect because he's just like, no, this this guy nailed it. I like the yeah. script. I love the script. Good, good, good. Right, good. Yep, yep. Emphasize good, this. Good. Emphasize this. Maybe use this. I mean, there's there's so many neat touches to to the performance, like Michael Rennie, at one point, there's a music box. He's sitting down on a couch. Yes. And there's a music box, and he kind of picks it up, like, what does it do? And then he opens it, and it starts playing music, and he's, like, a little bit surprised, and he smiles. And he puts it back down again and opens it up. <laughs> it's not silly in a way that, you no, know... No, it feels like that mm-hmm. thing of, oh, the humans have made this, and it doesn't do anything. It's not a weapon. Right. It's not for anything other than joy. That's yeah. really all a music box is for. Yes. Right? It's not, it and doesn't. He does have these moments where he's not, like I said, he's not doing strange and miraculous things like aliens and other films do. Um, what he's doing, though, is all of this is kind of unfamiliar to him. It feels like a star man. That feels like a star man term. Right. Like, like the way that Jeff Bridges in, is in some part right. of star man. Well, he's also not human. He's getting used to operating his body, so that right. comes right. to a whole different thing. Well, I'm not saying equal, yeah. but like that kind of like. There's a little bit of wonder. There's right. wonder there. And it was just, it was very sweet. And there's like other things that he does in this film that really... But also, is his job to just go to baby planets and like tell them to knock it off? I think that, I'm not sure exactly what his job is. And I think that also goes into... Another thing I want to know. Right. I want to know the things. Well, you're, right. not, you're, you're not warning us to, about the, the dangers to the human race. What do you do? But um, So what have you, you've watched something, right? 
Or you've seen something? Um. Ah, sorry, big yawn. Um. I finished up Grey's Anatomy. Oh, is it? Sad. Oh. <laughs> uh, it's not done yet. That's going to happen next season again. I think they're going to go for 20 and call it then, but Shonda's basically said, as long as Ellen Pompeo wants to do the show, they're going to keep making the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, But they are kind of done. They're sort of out of shit to do. Like, it's getting nuts. Uh, so I watched that to catch caught up. And then I did watch a documentary series in its entirety yesterday on Hulu. It is called The Deep End. It mm-hmm. is about... Swimming and I, pools? Uh-huh. Swimming pools? No. Okay. It is about a quote-unquote self-help guru, um, cult leader, probably. Her name is Teal Swan. This uh, documentary series was supposed to be ten episodes, and it ends at four <laughs> because it's pretty clear that she was under the impression that uh, shit would go more favorably for her, mm-hmm. and she shut that shit down when it was not going favorably for her. Um, yeah, it. I have been into like cult stuff lately. Like that's just been interesting to me. Even though I did say I don't want to watch violence against people by humans, and that mm. is fundamentally what this is, I feel like I just need to check in with my cult dar every once in a while because I do feel like at any moment I could be yoinked by a cult. Like, I am a target for mm. sure. Mm. Or I could be. So I just need to test my bullshit detectors. So I I do that, and that's what I was doing. So, but it's a it's a well put together documentary. It's really interesting, and you kind of go, oh no, she's not bad, and then you're like, oh no, she's fucking monstrous. Wow. It's wild. Um, yeah. but it's it's four episodes of forty minutes long. So like I said, I watched it yesterday because it's the length of a long movie. Right. I did it while I was working on some other stuff that didn't require a hundred percent of my brain power. So um, I recommend that on Hulu. Um, I'm planning to watch a movie on Hulu, but I haven't watched it yet. So we'll talk about that maybe next time we discuss The Omen. We will also be going over next week what we're talking about through the month of July. So Mm. look forward to that. Okay. Uh, In the meantime, thank you for leading this discussion. I appreciate it. You're welcome. I'm I'm, I'm glad that I got to. It's the the film. It it was a big part of my childhood. Like the thing. Yeah. It was something that was just, it was on a lot, and I was able to watch it over and over and over again. And it's a, it's kind of a pity that a film like this gets this, I mean, it has the recognition now that it should have had when it was first released. Yeah. Although it was a, a success when it was first released, but. It made $1.85 million. Right. Off of a less than million dollar budget. So it was a success, but now it's kind of grown in stature, and it, gets referenced all the time and everything but uh but yeah i it's it's a kind of a craftsmanship that i wish i could see more often someday we'll get back to our episodes but this is going to be another two-hour episode we're gonna so we're gonna watch the omen from 1976 next week watch it with us Mm -hmm. so you can come back and talk about it 
if you have questions or comments or concerns, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at latecomerspod or on Facebook by searching Latecomers Podcast in the search bar. I would like to remind you, please, please, please take your medicines. And we would like to remind you that two brought a nectar. Also, better late than never. That's what it means.